0: Greetings, I'm Bishop Chester Wright, and this is the lesson four in a series of lessons on the subject, the voice of God in the church today. We have had tremendous moves of the spirit flow in the Holy Ghost in the first three lessons, and I'm looking forward to what the Lord's going to do and say in this lesson. This is a very critical lesson. Of course, they all are when you're talking about God and the voice of God. But this one's very critical because we're going to spend a considerable length of time in this particular lesson talking about discerning the voice of God. If there was only one voice and it was God's and that would, that's all that there is and we didn't have to worry about anything else, this would all be very simple. But just like he put a tree, one single tree in the garden so that man could uh, have a way to make a choice and express his faith and his love for God by not eating of that tree. Without a choice, there is no way for us to demonstrate our commitment, our love, our devotion, our faith, etc., 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 Man and man alone was given the power to choose. And God uh, expects us to use that power of choice to make decisions that express who and what we really are. Including and especially who and we, what we really are as his child and also as a part of his kingdom. And everything that God does, everything he does... but. It, it, that we do and he does are in that relation to our lives. All of it is directly or indirectly connected to the voice of God. And so our ability to hear the voice of God is very critical. I said in one of the earlier videos that I want to elaborate it on here just for a few minutes. Uh, people say they've never heard the voice of God. That's not true. In every single person that's ever been born, God has spoken to that person even from the time of they were very young. We call it a conscience. But the Greek word, according to Strong's translated conscience, is literally co-co-perception. Meaning that our conscience is a product of two uh, inputs. Not the conflicting voices of God and the devil, as uh, uh, we talked about earlier in the contrast and the the struggle with that. But these are two voices that work together, agree together, our human spirit and God's spirit working together, helping us to perceive things. And it's a proven fact that regardless of environment and regardless of where, regardless of the religion of the area, regardless of a person ever seen another human being in their life, the whole life, that there is a sense of right and wrong in every person until they or someone that has authority in their life uh, kills that conscience. So unless our conscience has been killed, or as Paul said it one way, seared with a hot iron, so that it has no more feeling, because something that's seared develops scar tissue, and scar tissue is numb. So there's no feeling there anymore. Uh, Paul said, "Herein, uh, Acts twenty four sixteen. Herein do I exercise myself always uh, to have a conscience void of offense." Toward God and toward men. What was he talking about? He wanted his conscience working. So every human being has heard the voice of God since their infancy. They just didn't acknowledge it That as being God's voice. That's what conscience is. It's God trying to steer and guide every one of us. But that conscience also becomes evidence against us when we ignore it. Because God, first of all, uses conscience to lead us to him before he uses anything that we would call religious. Even for those of us born uh, with our mothers attending or fathers attending a church. It's still conscience that deals with us, even from our youngest years in childhood. So that's why we're all born innocent. We're not born sinners. We have a sinful nature, but we're all born innocent. And that innocent nature contrasted with or by that conscience is how we know, I really shouldn't do this, I really shouldn't do that. But the more I violate my conscience, the more guilty I become, the less innocent I am, the more difficult it is for my conscience to work at peak or optimum until we reach the place, people reach the place that, without the Spirit of the Lord's intervention of directly dealing with them supernaturally, through the Word of God, the Spirit of God, they just continue down, 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 down. There's no such thing as a static spiritual condition. We start off in innocency, and we go into guilt because we're if you're offended in one point of law, you're guilty of all the law. So, God's, always, God's already spoken to all of us. But the problem is, as we get older and God begins to deal with us, then we get saved uh, and uh, we have his spirit dwelling within us. And now we're wanting to walk with him and we're wanting to learn from him, et cetera, et cetera. Et cetera. Now, there has to be a choice. There has to be a choice. So, when we were young and innocent, our conscience gave us a choice. The crowd or even our own flesh wanted to try this, but our conscience says, don't do that. We had to make a choice. We had to make a choice. We often failed in that choice, which proved our sinful nature. Again, we weren't born as sinners, we were born with a nature that would, with a propensity towards sin. But that's something complete, completely different. ...than that spark of life in us... that that ...we call it the human spirit... ...but it's not a a human spirit... ...it's a spirit in man... ...and that spirit of man... ...or spirit in man... ...is from God... ...and it's that part of us... ...that we relate to the supernatural dimension with... ...and everybody's got that spirit... ...so nobody can deny the existence of the supernatural... ...intellectually they may convince themselves of that... ...but deep down in here that's not the truth until they until they choose if they choose to completely deaden all sensitivity to that why do people get so involved in addictive behavior because they can't handle what their conscience is telling them about themselves they feel guilty and there's so much pain maybe the stuff they're feeling guilty over wasn't even their fault but that's the way shame works. And so here we are. And all of that was uh, not in the notes, but it was what the Holy Ghost wanted said here at the beginning of this lesson. So here we are today. Now we're wanting to walk with God. We want to walk in the Spirit. And we've learned that walking in Spirit means listening to the voice of God, letting the Spirit of the Lord guide us, direct us, us coming under the, the oversight or the authority of God. And whatever he tells us do, we do. Whatever he tells us to say, we say. Wherever he sends us to go, we go. Because we're not our own, we're bought with a price. We want to do that. There's one slight problem. When he saved you, he didn't take away your flesh. Therefore, he didn't take away your sinful nature. And Paul tells us about the conflict that he had in Romans 7 as a saved man. Where the things he wanted to do, he couldn't find out how to do them. And the things he didn't want to do, he couldn't find out how to not do them. And so, uh, to will, he said, is present with me. But how to find out how to do what I will, uh, I, I, I don't know how to do that. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me for the body of this death? I thank my God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So, he, he came to that place. He said, in me that is in my flesh there dwelleth no good thing. Well, the Lord did not choose to take that away from you and I when we got saved. So there's always a choice. I remember, I've told this many times, but I remember thinking when I was younger, I can't wait to get older so I can be spiritual enough that the and have enough experience. The voice of God will be so loud and so clear that there won't ever be a question. Boy, was I wrong. I was misinformed. I don't know who informed me of that, but it was my... Honest and sincere perception. Well, here was the problem. (laughs) God was never going to let there be a moment in time where I didn't have to walk by faith and not by sight. Where I didn't have to make a choice. And I found that the closer I get to Jesus, the quieter he whispers. When I was younger... And occasionally he would speak something very firm to me and loud so I had no question it was him. It's not that I'm less deserving today, but there is at times, in my opinion. But he rarely does that. It's a very quiet whisper. So what the problem is, Satan is trying to imitate God. When he talks about an angel of light, he's trying to imitate a spirit. So the spirit of God speaks to me. Well, he tries to imitate God and speak in a voice that sounds like God to get me to do what is against God. And so, the Apostle John says very clearly, "Verse John chapter four, verse one: Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try, test, put to the test the spirits, whether or not they are of God." Because many false prophets are going out in the world. First Thessalonians 5, 19 through 21 says, quench not the spirit, despise not prophesying. Okay, that's all good. Prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. So there's always a test because there's always a choice. And yesterday's choices, No matter how good they were, they don't work for today. Today requires its own choices. That's why Paul said, I die daily. I was crucified with Christ. That was a major getting over a hump a hurdle or whatever that the Holy Ghost brought me through that. I've experienced that. But there still has to be dying daily. It still has to be maintained. Why? Because God in his wisdom put us all in a situation where... For some period of time of the day, we're going technically unconscious. Your will, neither your will nor mine, functions in its normal capacity when we're asleep. We're pretty much helpless victims of whatever goes through our minds, whether it's just from our own emotions or whether it's God talking to us or the adversary talking to us. And there's no time where we have less of a defense Against the adversary when we're asleep. In the sense of. Preventing it from coming. The old, the old preacher said. You can't stop the bird from flying over your head. But you can keep him from building a nest in your hair. Now that's a very vivid picture there. God gave. Has given the adversary. The ability. And the right. To put thoughts there. He does not have the right. To force you and I to do anything. It is up to me and me only. If that thought stays there. So therefore. I need to be able to discern. This thought I've just had. Is that God? Or is that not God? Because. One of the the most challenging thing from a natural perspective in fact it's impossible from the natural perspective I'm going to in one of these lessons I don't remember which one it is but what we're going to get to we're going to talk about specific things you and I can do to become more sensitive to the voice of God and to learn how to discern between the adversary and the devil so that we're not fooled by him okay So, this is so critical, so critical. I want to make the right choices. I want the choices that I make by the power and the direction of the Holy Ghost, the enablement of the Holy Ghost, I want them to please God. I want the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart to be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, by strength and my Redeemer. But I'm sitting here confessing to you that's not 100% true all the time. So during this life, there will never be a point by God's plan that there isn't always reason to grow. There's always opportunity to grow. There's always opportunity and tests and opportunities to choose. So how do I discern? How do I put it to the test? One of the first steps in hearing the voice of God is identifying and understanding the need to deal with with the other voices. That are trying to lead me in the wrong direction. If I'm sensitive to the voice of God. I must identify and deal with these contrary to voices. There is a voice of my flesh. There's a voice of it. Oh, you're tired. Why don't you quit now? Oh, you're tired. You know, you, you don't need to pray now. Or you're busy. You got stuff to do. Or look at all you've done for the Lord. You, you, you know, you, you, you had a big heavy weekend this weekend. You... You did a lot of preaching, you did a lot of praying, you did a lot of whatever. This is Monday. You deserve the day off. And of course, the implication is you deserve the day off from God. So my day off today is I don't even talk to God and don't read the word. And maybe I get into reading something or watching something or surfing somewhere that I shouldn't because I'm resting. And wasn't God said that, it wasn't God that did that. I take a rest from the physical side. But the moment I'm taking a rest from the spiritual side, that wasn't God saying that. Now, he said, come unto me all that labor and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden light. And all of that is absolutely the truth. Matthew 11, 28 through 30. But here's the problem. Sometimes that voice says you need rest, but instead of resting the way God says, I I rest the way flesh says. Or how about family and friends? The Lord is dealing with you. I need to. I want you to come come pray, come spend some time with me. Come pray. We got some things to talk about. Or I want to show you this in my word. But family's over here are pressing, pressing. We got something to do, and their voice audibly and the guilt trip you feel inside now we're called to be fathers and mothers we're called to be husbands and wives we're called to be obedient to our parents uh and even and i guess there's some spiritual responsibility of being a grandparent since uh, our actions affect the third and fourth generation but god is always going to test you not every day but there's always going to be periodic tests to see if you do what he says or what your family member says. And that the greatest test is when your wife is the one wanting to do something different. And trust me, whether it's your wife or your husband when they're wanting to do something different than you're feeling you're supposed to do, whew, that is a big deal. But if I consistently with a right attitude, spirit, don't get defensive, but consistently do what God says, he will bless that relationship and those things will not be hurtful. They will will become positive things. Because you see, there's one thing my wife needs to know from me far more than that I'm always going to be there every second with her. She needs to know that I'm going to be faithful to God. You know why? Because if she never questions... My faithfulness to God. Because I have demonstrated that to her. She's never going to question my faithfulness to her. Pause and think about that a little bit. Then there is the voice of the human will. There are things I want. There's things I want to see. I want to happen. There's things I'd like to do. And the will will really sometimes, the will will quote scripture to you about how important it is to do this or that or the other. And yet, the will fails to recognize the will, the plan of God. So, (laughs) that's why Jesus said, If any man will be my disciple, let him deny himself, take up his cross, And follow me. Deny himself. (sighs) The word there in the Greek means to disavow ownership of yourself. Take up your cross. That's the will. Okay. That's where the will is involved. I don't own me. I give up control of me. I take up my cross so I I quit fussing over my circumstances and I realized my father's let me walk through these circumstances. And I realized he brought them my way so that I could grow in my discipleship. And then finally, the following, which is what flesh does not want to do. Flesh wants to do its own thing. And then another one the voice of this world. The voice of this world takes many different forms the voice of public opinion, the voice of fashion the voice of popularity, the voice of wealth, the voice of pleasure. All of these are voices of the world appealing to this. Don't don't you want this? Don't you like this? And then you, you walk down the street and you wish you had blinders on because the voice of the world is going to say, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. Even if that person is as innocent as some want us to believe. The world makes sure, the spirit of that world makes sure you see it. And you have to discern, no, no, I don't want to see that. Job said, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look upon a maid because it's not human. It's not human to not look. And of course, that's the game, isn't it? And I've been places, in airports or whatever, and you're. It's right there in front of your face before you realize it. And you can almost hear that voice saying to you, made you look. Well, I don't want to be made to look. And then finally, more than all those voices, there's the atmosphere. And he is the master at false voices. He doesn't come to us and say, hey, uh, hey, you, I'm the devil. And I want you to do this. Because he doesn't have one-tenth of one percent of the whole world that would obey him in that situation. So what does he use? His number one tool is not power. It's subtlety. He makes you think something that's not true. He makes shadows reality because shadows are always much bigger than the reality. And if he can make you believe the shadow is reality... He can be big and bad. But the book says when we get to heaven and we look on him, we're going to say, is this the one? This one? Yeah. So we need to to be able to discern the difference. All of these voices want to hinder my ability to hear from God and obey him. Though some of these voices may mean well. If they are speaking against the word of God and against the will of God in our lives... Then they are against me and my salvation, not for me. My dad was a sinner until he got saved in our church after we had been there ten years. But he was always very positive, very supportive of my walk with God and my ministry because he believed the Bible. He just wasn't ready to be saved because he wasn't ready to preach. And so he has supported me. He talked Bible with me because he read the Bible. But I. Injured my shoulder, I was medically retired from the Navy. The Lord opened doors, I began to evangelize. And without knowing anybody, without having a father in the ministry, without having a pastor, because we were, I was raised in the Navy, I had all kinds of pastors, none of them claimed me. So I didn't have anybody to open doors for me or whatever. And God opened doors, and as an evangelist, I was booked. But the Lord didn't call me to evangelize. It was just a transition. He wanted me to go to Annapolis, Maryland, a Church, but I didn't want to go. I didn't want to go. I wanted to evangelize. <laughs> but he saw to it. That didn't work. And I finally surrendered to God. And uh, I drove home to get some stuff I had stored there for us to drive to Annapolis. My dad says, son, uh, I, I understand you believe you're supposed to go to Annapolis, but... Does it have to be right now? What about all these people you've committed to come preach for them? You got all these people you've got all these people booked. Does it have to be right now? Well, you talk about logical. It made lot, big, very much made sense. And I had to call all those preachers and tell them, I'm sorry, I can't come. I'm going to go start a church. That didn't feel good. Some of them weren't happy with me. So logically, that voice was kind. It was my father. I loved him, respected him, even though he was a sinner. Uh, he had a lot of wisdom that God gave him. And yet in this case, he says, son, don't you, you don't have to go right now, do you? Look at all these commitments you've made. I give, you gave your word. You're going to come preach. Yeah, I gave my word. I was going to go preach. But God said, go. I went. And those months and months we sat there looking at each other with nothing happening and working secular jobs just trying to keep food on the table and keep the rent paid with nothing happening and nobody to talk to. You don't think the devil said, See, you could be preaching for so-and-so this weekend. You You could be enjoying yourself. You could be growing in the ministry. You could be seeing people saved. And here you sit in this house alone and you don't know anybody. So even if those voices mean well, if they're speaking against the word of God and the will of God for your life, that they are against God and against... If they're speaking to me, they're against me and they're against my salvation. They're not speaking for me. To the degree that these other voices are silenced or quieted, to that same degree, my sensitivity to God's voice will increase. So I, I can't... Force God to speak louder. In fact, most of the time, God's voice is almost always the quietest one speaking to us. So if I want to hear the voice of God more clearly, he's not going to talk louder. By the grace of God, i got to silence all these other voices. It should be noted here that the Greek word translated devil is not a reference to power possessed. But the methodology, the Greek word devil means slanderer. In other words, the work of the devil is to confuse us and defeat us with another voice. He tries to sound like God to us. And just like when we believe God's voice, when we believe the devil's voice, we release his words to come to pass in our lives. And he almost always is saying something negative. You can't do this. You're a failure. You're not qualified to do this. This is too hard. What happens when you fail? What are people going to think about you when you fail? What are you going to think about yourself when you fail? Or you do fail? (laughs) I told you. you just whatever. Right? He's a slanderer. He's accuser of the brethren. Even when he's got you talking against yourself to yourself. It's the work of the devil. That's why the word says again, take heed what you hear. Because you take heed how you hear. Whose voice are you listening to? So here's some steps to help us to learn to hear the voice of God. First of all, we've already read these verses several times. He said, my sheep know my voice. I have to invest time alone in the presence of God not only speaking but listening and giving him the opportunity to teach me how to hear brother billy cole said to me many many years ago he said brother right god will establish a way that he, he deals with you it may not be like any any the way he deals with anybody else but he will establish that pattern over and over and over again and even when things get really An emergency are really critical. He will not change the pattern. He's not going to whisper to you in in good times and shout at you in bad. It's going to be the same way. And when it's an emergency and you need to hear the voice of God, he's going to continue to speak to you like he's established communication between the two of you. And you learn to trust how he talks to you. Well, I know guys that have seen angels. i never seen an angel. I, I don't know that I've never heard a, the voice of an angel because I've heard God speak to me. And I know that angels have gone and delivered messages from God and spoke those messages in the first person as if that angel was God. We know he wasn't. But he delivered that message in the first person that it was. So... <clears throat> I may have heard an angel's voice, but he didn't identify himself as an angel. And I didn't receive the message from an angel. I received the message from God. But the primary way he deals with me is by a still small voice. Now, sometimes when he's dealing with me about the church or things that are not to do with me personally... The great majority of time that I have a dream or a vision, it will be about his kingdom. It won't be about me. But that's still, that's not a lot. That's not a lot. In my whole lifetime of almost 73 years, I, I doubt seriously I, I could sit here and recall seven, eight dreams or visions that I know I received. But he has proven to me. What his voice sounds like. And I know what the voice of God sounds like. And as long as I'm not letting that voice be clouded out or overwhelmed by all the, any or all these other voices, I have confidence in hearing the voice of God. And most of the time, it almost, it almost never sounds louder than my own thoughts. But he has taught me how to know the difference between my thoughts and his voice. Why? Spend a lot of time with him. To know the voice of God. I've got to first know the God of the voice. And that's only going to happen by spending time in his presence. And spending time with his word. And we'll get into that more in a little bit. To learn to hear, recognize, and discern the voice of God when the Lord speaks directly to us. We must first learn to identify and receive the voice of God speaking to us through human agency. That is God's will. So most of us, before we can really recognize proficiently the voice of God in our lives when he speaks to us directly, here's here's how he teaches us. He talks to you. You go to church. The man of God preaches. And he's preaching about stuff you've been talking and thinking about. Things that's been going through your mind. And maybe you didn't really realize that was God. But he's there confirming. God is speaking his word through the man of God. And when the man of God is speaking the things that's been going through your mind and spirit. The Lord is confirming. That's That's God speaking to me. That's God speaking to me. That's your voice Lord. Thank you for confirming that. Well, that doesn't happen overnight. But one of the most awesome things, and it's not a big deal from a grand scheme of, you know, that I'm not going to go on TV and tell of this miracle. But when somebody comes up to me and says, in your lesson tonight, or your word tonight, that, you, that God gave through you, you answered specific questions that I asked And used the exact terminology I used in asking it. And then gave me the exact answer I needed. Well, that's awesome. That's absolutely awesome. Because I didn't have a clue. All I'm doing standing there is hearing, hearing repeating what God's given me. I'm not thinking, okay, somebody out here just asked this question and now I'm going to repeat their question and give No, 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 no. That's too complicated. No, all I'm standing there doing is flowing in the spirit. And flow is when I'm focused on the words, hearing and repeating, hearing, and repeating, hearing, and repeating, hearing, and repeating. And if God wants to give the words of the question they ask and God wants to speak to them with the answer to that question and that happens between him and them. The best I can do is just say, thank you, God, for letting me be a conduit because I didn't have a clue what you were doing. I was just trying to faithfully say what you were telling me to say. Next, the, uh, no, let me repeat that again. To hear, to learn, to hear, recognize, discern the voice of God when the Lord speaks directly to us. We must first learn to identify and receive the voice of God speaking to us through human agency. That is God's will. This principle is dramatically demonstrated by the story of Cornelius. Cornelius fellowship with God daily, daily. Devout man feared God with all of his house, prayed to God always, gave much alms to the people. So much so that an angel shows up and ge- speaks to him personally. I mean, this unsaved Gentile army officer has an angel come talk to him. And me, been in church all my life, naval officer, and I don't get an angel. What's up with that? Anyway, (laughs) so uh, the angel says to him, you know, Cornelius, your devotion, your prayers, your alms have come up before God from memorial. Now, the Lord wants to do something for you. I want you to send some men down to get Peter. He's in in Joppa at a man named Simon the Tanner's house. And tell him to come here. And, And he told him this. He's going to tell you words whereby you and your house can be saved. He's going to tell you what you ought to do. Is the way it's put in Acts 10. But when Peter's recounting the story, he says the angel told him, he's going to tell you words whereby you and your house will be saved. The problem is this. He had to hear the rhema through the human voice. Delivering rhema. Why couldn't God just have spoken to him? Directly. Or the angel. Why didn't the angel tell him. You need need the Holy Ghost get baptized. Jesus name. No. By the will of God. Almost all of us first come to God. Because God speaks to us through human agency. And. if, uh, If the fact the audible voice of the angel told Cornelius to send for Peter. So that Peter could come and tell or speak him words, speak to him words about what to do to be saved. And he obeyed. Shouldn't we believe in that? Peter was sent to Cornelius by the voice of God speaking to him. So God spoke to Cornelius through an angel. To go send for Peter. Peter's praying and he sees a vision and God speaks to him. There's men come and go with him. All of this to get Peter there so Peter could speak Ramah to Cornelius' household. And Peter says this in Acts chapter 10, uh, verse 33, uh, sorry, verse 32. And send therefore to Joppa and call hither Simon. Uh, this is what the angel said. Uh, Call hither Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodgeth in the house of one Simon, a tanner by the seaside, who, when he cometh, shall speak unto thee. Immediately, therefore, I sent to thee, and thou hast well done that thou art come. Now, therefore, all we are here present before God to hear all things that are commanded thee of God. In other words, we are here to hear the rhema that God commands you to speak to us. And then Peter opens his mouth and says, Of a truth, God's no respecter of persons. I, myself and these other Jewish brethren are here in this Gentile's house. Because God sent us here. He says, of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of person, but in every nation he that feareth him worketh righteousness is accepted with him. The word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word, I say, ye know, which was published throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost with power, who went about Doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. For God was with him. Boy, Peter was just getting warmed up. And God said, that's enough. That's enough rhema for me to work. Holy Ghost fell on them. But the problem is. They couldn't hear. Without a preacher. And he couldn't preach. Except they were sent. Prayer is another way to learn to discern the voice of God. Any scriptural kind of prayer is indispensable to developing a relationship with the Father. Matthew eleven twenty seven, 27. All things are delivered unto me of my Father. No man knoweth the Son, but the Father neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son, and he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. The next verse says... Come unto me all you that labor heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and, meek and lowly in heart. And you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Those three verses in light of verse, the previous verse. Verse 27. Is the son revealing the father to them. But they had to come to the son. They had to get to know him. To know the father. Because the father was indwelling in the son. Now, one of my favorite verses, the minister on luke ten thirty eight Now it came to pass as they went that he entered to a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha received him in her house. She had a sister called Mary which sat at, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. but Martha was covered about by serving came to him and said, "Lord, dost thou not?" care that my sister hath left me to serve alone, and bid her therefore, that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful, full of care, and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful. The Greek is literally, of one there is need, and Mary has chosen that good part, her portion, her share, which shall not be taken away from her. What was she doing? She was sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to his word. And oh, these verses, Psalm 1611, that would would show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. Or Psalms 42, 1 and 2, as the heart, that's not H-E-A-R-T, it's the small deer, as the heart panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, my flat, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? How about Psalm 63, 1 and 2? O oh God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and a thirsty land where no water is. To see thy power and thy glory in the sanctuary, so as I have seen thee. Or thy power and thy glory, so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. And then... Philippians seven three, seven through eleven. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss? Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss, For the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus, Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do cut, count them but dung that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through faith, the faith of Christ. The righteousness which is of God by faith. All of that I've gone through. Why? That I might know him and the power of his resurrection. The fellowship of his suffering being made conformable unto his death. I want to know him, Paul said. I want to know him. I want to know him. That's how I learned the voice of God. By being with God in fellowship. Putting him first. And and I can't do that 24-7 meaning doing nothing else but that. But if I if I do do that enough with my time each day, I, his presence will stay with me the rest of the day. And as long as I don't choose to do stuff that would drive his presence away. I can fellowship with him the rest of the day and be listening to his voice all day long. Another way to learn to discern the voice of the spirit of God. And oh, how he has used this to teach me how to hear him. is praying in the Spirit. I had the Holy Ghost 10 years before I hardly ever spoke in tongues more than once a year. And most of those years that I spoke in tongues more more than once a year was maybe twice. Three times at most in any year. In the first 10 years I had the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And then I was attending a uh, church pastored by a relatively new convert He'd only been saved five years while I was in flight training. And he preached we should speak in tongues every day. So I began to spend a lot of time at the church praying because I was single. And and I wanted God. I wanted the things of God. And I broke through and got to the place of yieldedness. That because God was in me all the time, I knew I could yield to his spirit whenever I needed to, to be able to pray. Because I don't know what to pray for as I ought. So, this is what happened. 1 Corinthians 14, 14. For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful or unproductive. Meaning, my mind doesn't know what I'm saying and isn't controlling it. And so, therefore, my mind is at rest. Well, what's so awesome is, the Holy Ghost is praying. And I know that's the Holy Ghost praying. But... During that time, I learned to listen with the mind while my spirit is being aided to pray by the Holy Ghost. So the Holy Ghost is helping my spirit pray and my mind is listening, not blank, but focused, It's focused listening. And some of the most awesome things God has ever said to me in my life. He said to me while I was praying in the spirit, but listening with a focus to his voice. June one twenty says, but ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. And then the one who said, follow me as I follow Christ. 1 Corinthians 14.18, the Apostle Paul said, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all." I've had Pentecostals say to me, well, you're, you're really unbalanced. You're really messed up because you speak in tongues too much. Yeah, me and Paul got a problem with that. Because I'm trying to copy him, not your carnality. That's not nice, is it? I have to admit I thought that. And it may be true, but that's God's problem, not their mine. And then finally, in this context, the verse I started quoting a moment ago, Romans 8, 26 and 27. Likewise, the Spirit Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. That's probably the biggest weakness any of us have. We need to pray. But most of the time we don't know what to pray for. Oh, we know there's a problem. But are we going to pray and tell God what to do? Are we going to tell Him what His will is? This is what I want you to do. And this is how I want you to do it. This is what I want you to do it. Really? Is that what prayer is supposed to be? Is that really what prayer is supposed to be? No, the problem is... I know the situation, <laughs> but I don't know what to pray for as I ought. So the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is in the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Well, here's another benefit of praying in the Spirit. James 1.26 If any man among you seem to be religious and bridle not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. But James 3, 2 says, For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same as a perfect man, and able to bridle the whole body. We put bits in in the mouths of horses, in horses' mouths, that they may obey us. And we turn about their whole body. But also, behold also the ship's. Which though they be so great and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor or the, the helmsman listeth or desires. Even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is, so is the tongue among our members. For it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and is set on fire of hell. For every bee, every kind of beasts, and of birds, and of serpents, and of things in the sea, is tamed, and hath been tamed to mankind. But the tongue can no man tame, no man tame. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Well, Lord, why would you throw out all this benefit? Of my tongue being tamed, and my—if I can just have my tongue tamed, my whole body will be bridled. Because the key is, it's not that my tongue can't be tamed. That's not it. It's that I can't do it. Second Corinthians chapter three, verse seventeen says, "Now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty." Amplified version says now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty emancipation from bondage and freedom. And the most important bondage I want to be set free from is the bondage of myself. And he's the only one who can do that Oh, wretched man that I am. I can't set my free self free from this, but as i let the spirit pray and move through me as I'm doing that. Flesh is being brought into subjection and I'm hearing the voice of God in my mind. And I'm learning how to recognize the voice of God. First Corinthians 14, 14. If I, for if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. Here's what the Bible in basic English says. For if I make use of tongues in prayer, my spirit makes the prayer, but not my mind. So my flesh can't take the credit. My intellect can't even understand what it's praying for. But my spirit knows that God himself is praying through me. That he is enabling me to pray those things that need to be prayed. And all of that Brings me closer and to more of a focus to the voice of God. And winding up this this lesson. To know the voice of God, you must study and know the scriptures. Psalms 119.11. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. When John said, beloved, believe not every spirit, try the spirits whether they be of God. Amplified says, Beloved, do not put faith in every spirit, but prove, test the spirits to discover whether they proceed from God. The Bible in basic English, my loved ones, do not put faith in every spirit, but uh, put them to the test to see if they're from God. How in the world can I test the spirit? It's not talking about the spirit. It's talking about what that spirit's saying to me. If God is speaking, he's talking. If other spirits are talking... Uh, 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 influencing me they're talking so i need to know which one of those is god well the easiest way to do is david said thy word have i hid my heart that i might not sin against thee so i compare what those spirits are saying to me with what i put in here and the scripture says if you don't know this if the Bible said, Jesus said, if you don't know the scripture, it will lead to error. Why? Because you don't know the scripture so that you can compare what is written with what that, that spirit is saying. And if it, it God cannot lie, whatever he writ, wrote in this book, he will never vary from it. So if that voice that's speaking to me says something that's contrary to this book, in the story, over with, done, that's not God. I refuse that. I reject it. But if that voice comes, and even if I don't like what it's saying, if, it's, if what it's saying is an agreement with the Word of God, and if I'm not sure, I wait, and it comes back and says the same thing again, and it's an agreement with the Word of God, and if I still don't like it but I wait, and the voice comes back again, and now by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word is established, now I'm in a position, I've got to obey that, or I'm in trouble. Not knowing the Scripture leads to error. This isn't reading books about the Scripture. There's nothing wrong with that, as long as that doesn't take precedence over knowing the Scripture by reading the Scripture, studying the Scripture. Studies show, show yourself approved unto God, a workman which needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So in Matthew twenty-two twenty-nine, 29, Jesus said, You do error not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God. Mark twelve twenty four. Jesus said, do, do ye not therefore err because ye know not the scriptures, neither the power of God? The word error means to cause, to stray, to lead astray, to go aside from the rigid way, metaphorically, to lead away from the truth, to lead into error, to deceive. The Greek word, verb to, ve- to err In both of these verses is the passive voice. That's very significant. If the verb had been in the active voice, the meaning of the verse would be that not knowing the scriptures would be the error. But since it's in the passive voice, not knowing the scripture leads to the error. We cannot hear the truth unless we first know the truth. Pilate said in examining Jesus what is truth? But Jesus said, To this end was I born, for this cause came I into the world. John eighteen thirty-seven, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone one that is of the truth hears my voice. John eight forty seven. He that is of God heareth God's words. And then John seventeen says Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. The spiritual, the spiritually noble always test the word heard, no matter whether it's from man or from spirit, to see whether or not it's from God. They always do. Acts 17, 11, those at Berea never accepted anything till they tested it to see whether or not it was so. In Jesus' name. In order to not be deceived, in order to grow in our confidence in knowing God and knowing his voice, we must be submitted to God's authority, to his word, so that we demonstrate that submission to his authority and word by being obedient to his word. Jesus said, six, Luke 6, 46, And why call ye me Lord, Lord? And do not the things which I say. Whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them, I will show you to whom he is like. He is like a man which built his, built a house and dig deep and laid a foundation on a rock when the floods rose and the, st- and the st- stream beat behemoth upon the house and could not shake it for it was founded upon the rock. But he that heareth and doeth not is like a man without a foundation built a house upon the earth against which the stream did beat vehemently immediately it fell and the ruin of the house was great we must be able to test the voice of god with what it tells us to do and once it's tested we if we do not do what it says we will deceive ourselves if we don't become doers of the word we deceive ourselves and that only opens the door for more deception And I close with this text, beginning with James chapter 1, verse 19. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word... Not a reader, a hearer of the word. He's talking about the word of God being spoken to us by God, God's voice. And not a doer. He is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and go his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whosoever looketh to the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his need, in his deed. In Jesus' name, by the grace of God, I pray that the Spirit of God and the Word of God would lead us and guide us and teach us how to hear and be confident in hearing the voice of God. But when we hear it, I pray that grace of God would help us to do it rather than be disobedient to it. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen.